Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Chewing the Gristle, a podcast of doom and destruction. I'm your host, Greg Cock, Gregory Cockery, or the Gristle Man, if you will. We're going to have extemporaneous conversations with a variety of very powerful musical friends. We're going to converse about life, liberty, and the pursuit of musical savagery. Is that wrong? I don't think so. So tune in. Brought to you by our friends at Wildwood Guitars of beautiful Louisville, Colorado. Fishman Transducers of the majestic and powerful community known as Andover, Massachusetts. Can you dig it? For this episode of Chewing the Gristle, we have an old friend of mine, young man whose penchant for psychedelic blues, funkification, a little bit of chacking packing in there as well. First met him out in Arizona way back when he was a blues youngin', and now he's a full-grown man, slinging the gristle like a warrior of the night. J.D. Simo, come. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with the mighty J.D. Simo, guitar player extraordinaire, good buddy of mine. We go back a long, doggone way. And I've known J.D. since the Phoenix days, the Pahonix days. And uh, we've done some gigging together since then and just hang out whenever we can when our schedules meet up. And it's so great to visit with you in a cyber scenario here, my friend. How the heck are you? I'm doing really good, actually, buddy. I love you and I miss you. It's great to see you. It's a groovy thing, man. It is indeed. We were talking just before we went live that you are in the midst of, of calibrating your being to the ways of a youngster in your life. And waking up at the crack of dawn. Indeed. Because, you know, before the, before the, before the plague, uh, you know, I'd go on the road for long periods of time. And of course, you know, we had like a, uh, all through last year, my, my daughter's about to be two next month. And, uh, all of last year, my wife and her and sometimes my mother-in-law would come on the road with us and we had like a 10 or 12 day rule of like, you know, no longer than 10 or 12 days apart kind of thing. But, you know, I'm out there working. So the schedule would somewhat remain and I would, you know, be given that slight reprieve. And, and, uh, and so, yes, these past many months, it's just like, what the heck? So what would you do? Would you just start drinking just just immediately just to weather through the pain like i don't know what was is alcoholism the answer or or uh i mean definitely to being a definitely for being a good parent alcoholism is absolutely the answer no i'm just kidding folks well there you go i mean i uh i actually quit drinking when dylan was about six months old so Uh, prior to that, it was uh, a healing elixir, uh, at least what I thought it was. <laughs> well, what, was what was funny to me is that, um, you know, it, kind of the, the the two moments in my life where I tried quitting drinking before I really quit was uh, was right before I got married. I thought, you know what, I got to straighten out a little bit. I'm a little bloated, looking a little squishy. So I want to make sure I look, you know, pretty good in those wedding pictures. So um, I quit for a few months leading up to the wedding until like the bachelor party. And then it was just like game on again. And then (laughs) about a year later, we found out we were going to have a Bambino. So then leading up to the birth of the child, I was like, I got to get my act together because I can't be all, you know, juicy 
when the, yeah. the, the little one arrives. So then um, I quit a couple months before the baby was born. Then the baby was born and then started to get into a schedule. And then in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I think I can pull this off. <laughs> <laughs> which is what? Which is, you know, because I, I getting pregnant was my impetus for 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 ending that way of my life as well. Yes. And it, that's how the thing that's how that that's how it works. It's like, no, you can handle it. No, you yes. can handle it. Absolutely. You can do it. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, there, there'd be times where, you know, I'd be so hung over. And I'd be changing Dylan and he'd have one of those like soft serve ice cream type of dumps, like as I'm changing yes, his diaper. Yeah. He's like, he waited yes. me until waited till right till I took it off and then just looked up at me with that little grimace and then just kerblort. And I'd be like, oh no. So, and, yeah. all, and all of all of the self-medicating in the world couldn't uh keep you couldn't you you are sober. You are sober right. in that moment, my friend. Oh, indeed, indeed, indeed. So then, about six months into that scenario, I was like, "No, this, this, this can't, this cannot go on. This so, cannot go on." Yes. And now Dylan is uh, a grown man 20, and a twenty-six years old, and a lovely musician and a good human being. I love he's, him very much. Oh, he's a good lad. By God, he's. Uh, I couldn't believe here, JD. I got the whole gang at home. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! How does it? How does your wife handle it? No. Well, you know, uh, you know, the, the house you visited was our our old house. So about yeah. uh, four years ago ish. Yeah, now, you're you're in the you're in the new abode. You're in the abode of cock. Yeah, we got we got something with a little more room. Um, you know, it's a, it's still in that kind of same neighborhood. So it's an old kind yeah. of turn of the century. But the ceilings uh, are higher. Oh, they are indeed. <laughs> they are indeed, my friend. So we got room for everybody. So that's the good side of it. And, and you know, it's it's really fun to have all the kids home. I mean, it'll. I mean, certainly under normal circumstances, this would never happen. You know what I mean? Dylan would be long yeah, gone. Yeah, Grace yeah. would be long gone. Isla would be up at school in Minnesota. Right now, she's doing it remotely. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I would have one at home. As a matter of fact, there was a small period of time where <laughs> just Johnny was home. So we were technically empty nesters. And that lasted for a couple months. And then now they're all back home. But it's it's a gas. It's a lot of it's a lot of fun. I'm sure it'll be, as I said, it's something that wouldn't usually happen. Everyone's safe and sound and we're not uh we're not hurting as far as um you know, uh, financially, we haven't been too uh, adversely affected by the uh, the COVID downturn. So all things being considered, we consider ourselves fortunate. We're having a good old time. Now, what's going on down there in Nashville? What do you do? I see you're doing your greasy time stuff. The stuff sounds great. I heard a track from your new record. I dig that. I dig the animated videos you got going on. I like the reverb drenched soul psychedelic goodness that you're 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 going you're going with. Thank I dig it. So you, tell man. me what's happening. Well, I mean, we, uh, I, I, you know, I did a, a really hard pivot because as you know, uh, you know, leading up to the beginning of COVID, I mean, you know, since at least 2015, I mean, I've been gone at least 200 plus days a year Yeah, and, um, uh, and some more than that. And then, so we finished, we had a long tour that started right after Christmas of last year and went through to the end of February. Ah. So I had just gotten home for an intended like March, April into May break when, um, when COVID hit. And, um, 
So I was fortunate in that um, I was sort of set to take a small break, not a long one, but a, a, a couple of months because I was already, uh, you know, gosh, you know, I mean, we were like 70 or 80 shows into the year and it was only, you know, the end of February and um, or something like that, whatever it was. And so it afforded me the opportunity to sort of pivot and figure out, you know, like everyone else has through this whole thing of how, of, of what to do, how to do it, you know? And so two things that I started doing relatively quickly that sort of now have mushroomed out into a bunch of other things is, you know, one was I've always had my studio here in my house, ah. but it, but it afforded me the opportunity to really kind of uh, make it completely legit and sort of take um, some of uh, some guidance from some people I really look up to. Um, and I, you know, certainly people like Gabe Roth from the founder of Daptone, who I'm wearing one of their t-shirts today, you know, he's definitely a big yeah. hero of mine. Um, you know, and so, I mean, it's just a funky thing where, you know, it's only eight tracks. It's, 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 uh, there's no headphones down here. Um, it's very old school. Um, but, you know, getting it laid out and really sort of getting everything set up to where it is now, where I'm really, really happy and really comfortable and I'm able to do what it is I like. And so that was one thing. And so I started cutting stuff just for my own pleasure, um, getting together with my COVID buddies, uh, my <laughs> little bubble, my little bubble, my little bubble of people here. Um, and, uh, started cutting a bunch of old school like type uh instrumentals mostly uh like you know metersy type of stuff right. and uh Lee Dorsey and that kind of thing real lo-fi real you know and um so I started doing that and then I started doing the greasy time live streams mostly for my own sanity sure. and um you know the first you know at least the first you know 6 or 7 I was you know I haven't been able to do them uh, much this last month or two because I've gotten busy again. Um, but, you know, the viewership was crazy for those first, uh, at, le at least the first six or so, where it was like 70, 80,000 views. And so, I mean, it's crazy. And so, right. um, so I, I started doing that and started debuting a new track every week on the show. And so as a result of that, uh, I started getting asked by certain producers and stuff, you know, to, to do scoring stuff for like stuff for Netflix and Amazon. And, uh, so I've done a ton of, uh, of scoring stuff, which literally amounts to me making these funky, uh, you know, lo-fi, you know, esque stuff that is really for my own pleasure. And then sending it off, you know, to certain individuals, you know, to, to, for placements and stuff. So Excellent. I've done a ton I've done a ton of that. And then I've, as a result of the greasy time show become really good friends with a lot of other people, peers of mine, people that I look up to and really respect. Um, people like the Dove on the more organ trio out in Washington, my good friend, Jimmy James and, and, um, uh, my dear friend, Patrick Sweeney, who's here in town and, uh, my buddies, GA 20 up in, up in Boston. Um, several of the people that are affiliated with coal mine records, uh, up in Ohio, 
uh, which is sort of like the dap tone of the Midwest. Um, all people that are obsessed with vinyl and um, into the stuff that I'm into. And so as a result of that, there's been a lot of collaborations. There's been a lot of um, working on stuff together and also making plans for um, when we can indeed go back on the road. There's actually, um, you know, we've put together a really cool um, sort of review style of tour with several of, of us together. Um, and obviously, I mean, you know, can we do it next year? Can we do it? You know, whatever that's, right. you know, remains to be seen, but we would have never been connected, um, had it not been for the, for the pandemic, you know, like we were all, um, looking at each other's content and, you know, a, a lot of people that I really look up to in the, in the world today, um, you know, we were, you know, you're just an Instagram or a Twitter message away from saying, Hey man, I dig what you do. Let's right. do something. Indeed. And so that's been, a that's been that. And then, uh, you know, here in the last couple of months, we all of a sudden started doing these private shows, um, for little clusters of fans, um, which has been incredibly gratifying and really awesome. We've done a whole bunch of them now. Um, and I never, I never sort of entertained the notion. My buddy G Love, uh, G Love and Special Thoughts, he started doing them relatively early in the pandemic, and um, yeah, we started getting offers. And uh, yeah, I mean, we've done a whole bunch of them now. We got several awesome. more coming up, and uh, so that's been great to get to play live music again um, for people. And um, you know, produced a record for, you know, for, for, for a band from Florida. Um, you know, I, I, I've been surprisingly, like you're saying, I've been surprisingly okay and, uh, surprisingly busy, um, you know, put together a, a side project of, of, a very traditional 50 style blues band with, um, my friend Patrick Sweeney from here and, um, a good friend of ours, Adam Bednarik, who, um, produced the last several Justin Towns oral records, rest in peace, Justin, we love you. Um, and, uh, we've done a couple of live stream concerts of that, which has been really fun. And now we're, we're, we're into making a record for that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm very surprised, but you know, you just do the next thing in front of you That's and, a fact. Keep, and keep creating and, uh, move on. But it's, I'm very busy and, and uh, really enjoying, you know, there's really nothing that I'm doing right now that I'm not 100% into, which is really amazing considering that it's paying the bills and taking care of me. That's really, you know, because usually there's some bit of trade-off, right? You know, and, sure. uh, yeah, and put the new record out back in August, you know, and, and that's been wonderful and actually done done fairly well. And, and uh, yeah, man. So anyway, I've been talking way too long. So no, 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 it's all, it's all gold. I'm fascinated by all of it. So, you know, at this, so the, the latest record, did you put it out yourself or did you do, cause I, I know no. we've talked about this stuff, uh, about, oh, that's right. You've got a new deal with, with, a, yeah, with, with a different label. With Crow's Feet. This is my second record with them. And we made the record, uh, the last week of December, like right before we started that last tour, we went in and uh and cut the record in a few days um uh didn't actually do it here in my studio did it at sound emporium here in nashville and um 
used a producer for the first time, my good friend, Ed, Eddie Spears, who I've known for a long time. Eddie uh, um, has really had an amazing few years. He did Brandy Carlisle's last record and um, he did the Stars Born soundtrack with oh, uh, yeah, Lady yeah. Gaga. And he's done a bunch of really great records the last couple of years. And we've known each other for probably about 10 years because he was Vance Powell's um, second engineer for a very long time. And uh, that's when we first met. And uh, it was great. We went in and, and, uh, and you know, really kind of had a, a great time making sort of a, a very modernistic approach on all the things that I really like. And, um, you know, it was really great. It was fun for me to not have to uh, produce or engineer for the first yes. time. Um, it was really, really fun to leave that to somebody else that I really love and respect. And, um, um, gave me a, it, it was incredible just to show up and just have to get a good performance, you know, right. uh, especially as I've dove back into being a studio rat, uh, which I am pretty much every day these days. And, uh, um, which I really enjoy, but yeah, just playing is an amazing thing. So, but yeah, we put that together and it was originally going to come out in the spring and then we, we held off on it and we finally, you know, decided that we, that we did indeed, we didn't want to just hold on to it. So we did put it out the last week of August. Um, uh, of course, everybody is, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of people, you know, I know, you know, friends of mine like Lily Hyatt and uh, obviously Jason Isbell released a great new record this year. You know, everybody's had different takes on, on, on how to, kind of deal with it and right. really you know it's just you make records you put them out you know um and we'll tour when we can you know right that's that's um, really the conundrum isn't it it's like it's you know traditional methodology is i guess you put out a record and then you travel behind it because if you right you, know, you hire a publicist and do whatever you got to do to create hype for that three months when the record comes out and if you don't follow it up with a tour it can it can die on the vine per se, but yet, you know, you're doing, as you said, you're doing online stuff, you're doing non-conventional or unconventional uh, things that somehow keep the thing alive. And we're, we're kind of in the midst of that right now. He just finished up a record and it's not going to be out on Provo. We're going to do it ourselves. Or I'm going to hire, you know, publicists and all Groovy. that. Kind of so yeah. it's, it's just one of those, um, it's one of those things. That it, it's interesting to talk about because I think, um, you know, the question of, of of why do a label at this point in time? I know the reasons why I, you know, thought I'd dip my toe in that water again. It was like, nope, I'm still I'm still good doing it on my own. So uh, talk a little bit about your your process with that and, and your journey with, you know, hey, I, you know, I started out with the band Simo. We had this deal. We did this and this and this and kind of just, uh, you know, if, if, without getting people in trouble, of course. <laughs> <laughs> terms of, terms of saying, well, no, this son of a you know what i mean but uh no no no, no, no but i mean journey. well yeah i mean you know i mean i very much for years and years um was fortunate you know here in nashville to make a really good living playing on people's records and and uh playing in the great don kelly band for for many years um and um that was my life for um, the majority of my twenties. And I sort of reached a point where I didn't, um, you know, what really happened is I was 25, I, 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 I was 25 years old. I had a mortgage. I had all this adult stuff. I had moved to Nashville with a trash bag of clothes, literally, <laughs> and a blow up bed from Walmart. 
And, you know, to all of a sudden have, you know, all those things, financial security, all these kind of things. But I was, I was pretty miserable. I hated what I was doing. I didn't like what I was, the type of music I was working on. I didn't, and I didn't realize all those things because I'm a kid, you know? And so I, you know, I, I, I was very unfulfilled and, and I also had the presence of mind to realize that if I didn't invest in whatever it was that was going to bring me happiness, um, all of a sudden I'd wake up and it would be 20 years later and it would be in, in, in essence too late to do really anything of substance about it. And so I happened to meet two like-minded individuals that we formed the band Simo. And initially it was just a side project. Initially we did stuff around town. We started to do some stuff regionally, some stuff a little, you know, maybe go to Chicago, you know, whatever. It was a very gradual, gradual thing. And then finally we signed a record deal um, after we'd been playing together about four or five years at that point when we finally signed a deal. Um, And that was the craziness where, you know, in 2016, when the first label record came out, Let Love Show the Way, that was the year we were we were literally gone 300 days that year. Um, and that almost killed all of us. Um, and we made another record under that. Uh, we made one more record, Rise and Shine. But then the band broke up because it was just we you know, we, we, we were frayed, we were overworked, underpaid (laughs) and frayed. And, um, and so it was right around that time that, you know, I mean, obviously I knew I was going to make another record and continue on. And so I signed a, a solo deal, um, with a new label with some other people that became my management and, and it just felt really good. It was a very, you know, some people that I had known for over 10 years and had a longstanding relationship with. It wasn't just people that I that I ended up, um, you know, like servicing to and signed me and da, 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 da. Like there was a big restructuring process where like, you know, my management, I'd gotten rid of my management. I'd, you know, left that record uh, company um, that I was with previous. And it was a it was a complete rebuilding of my team and my, by moving forward. And, um, and so, you know, yes, I'm still technically, you know, signed to a label, but it's with people that I really know very well and have a great relationship with. And really what that does for me is it affords me the opportunity where I don't have to shell out the capital to, uh, to make the record, um, and do the other stuff you know, uh, meaning the publicist and and so on and so forth. But, you know, we keep our overhead low and, um, and we, uh, and we do that, we do our best and, and, uh, and it's worked out fairly well, uh, these, these last couple of years. And I certainly am much more gratified and a lot happier in the, the work pace, uh, leading up to, um, the pandemic at least, you know, was much more kind of doable where, you know, last year was the first year where it's like we were gone a lot, but it was like sort of two weeks on, two or three weeks off, two or three weeks on, two or three. You know, it was that kind of thing where it was very, it was awesome, you know. And Excellent. so, you know, but it takes a minute. And also you got to see what it is that you want, you know. Yeah, that's the big thing. What do you want? Right. <laughs> what is it that you want? <clears throat> For God's sake, man. <laughs> now you did some you did some solo dates with the mighty Tommy Emmanuel. How what was that like? 
terrifying. Um, <laughs> how would it be for you? Terrifying. <laughs> yeah, with it, for anybody, it'd be terrifying. Not only is he uh, just a master guitar player, but just an entertainer. He's a force of nature. It really is kind of amazing, you know, because it's like the way he because I've done a lot with him now and it's like, and the show's always different. He changes it every night. It's never the same running order. It's completely in the moment. And it's like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a stand-up comedian. He's a storyteller. And it's like his mixture of like, I'm going to play you a quirky sort of, uh, you know, Randy Newman esque type of song. That's got funny lyrics or something. And then play a tear jerking, you know, unbelievably complex, you know, ballad or something that just has you hushed and then just, just, and then just annihilate. And then just the not, I mean, it's just such a well-balanced, you know, it's just one guy and a guitar, you know? Yeah. Um, But to answer your question, it was, it's been a, it's been really, really rewarding. We tend to do maybe one thing a year and it's a great reprieve for me because he had asked me previous because we had had the same manager for a while. Right. That's how we met. And uh, he had asked me to come out with him several times. And I said, no, I said, I'm not doing that. And uh, finally, a few years ago, he asked me to come do this tour with him in January. And it was like, like several days in Malibu and, you know, just like the nicest places to be at the worst Ah. time of year for great money. And it was just like, I can't say no, you know? So I said, yes. And, you know, I had to sit down and figure out like, you know, how, how to do it. Um, And I will say, and I'm sure you could probably, you know, relate to this where it's like, you know, the notion would be, okay, I'm going to play acoustic guitar and I'm going to do what his audience likes and all that. But it's like, I, I blocked off a few days to really kind of shed and figure out what the hell I was going to do. Sure. And it was really clear to me really quickly that that was like the wrong, that was, that, that, that is like, that was so that it that was not going to be the thing, a fruit, a fruitful path that the only, the only thing that I could stand to do that would really come off as genuine and work is to do something polar opposite of what he did um, to try and balance it. Because, you know, it's it's kind of like, um, you know, trying to outrock Chuck Berry or something right. like that. Yeah. It's like you're not going to be you. It. You got to exactly. be you. Right. So so I figured out a way to do it. That's really fun for me. Um, that's very influenced by like Tony Joe White and John Lee Hooker and and um, uh, people like Lonnie Johnson. There was a video of Lonnie Johnson I really like from the fifties where he's, he's literally playing electric, but he's, he's singing and playing as if like a band is backing him. Yeah, up. I've, I've seen that. It's glorious. And it's amazing. And it's, and I was like, huh, I'm just going to do that. And so it's, you know, it's, it's only gotten better with time, but man, that first night was absolutely terrifying to walk out <laughs> on stage for the first time without a band. Sure. Um, you know, especially in have, that you environment. Do, have you done, have you done much of that stuff yourself? The solo thing? Well, what was interesting is that, um, I started to a, a while back, I, I kind of eased into it because I realized at one point that I was 
you know, a guitar player that, uh, remember that old clip of Clapton where he's got the fool SG and he shows yep, some yep. vibrato stuff and he says, I'm really a guitar player, one of, of lead accompaniment. You know what I mean? And I thought, shit, that's, that's what I am. I got to play in a band or else I'm doomed. So I, I gradually thought to myself, I need to come up with some uh, solo pieces that are gratifying to do. And then when I started doing all those videos for Wildwood, there I was right. on a stool doing all these things. Right around the same time, I was doing a, uh, a duo with a, a harp player friend of mine. We'd do these blues duos. And he'd play some guitar. So he'd play guitar when I was playing, but then I would play guitar as he was playing harp. And so started to come up with a, a, a cache, if you will, of material. And then I started to, you know, when I was doing the clinics, I'd be by myself and I just kind of went from, I don't want to play with tracks anymore because it's like guitar yoke, you know? <laughs> so I just started doing the stuff by myself. <laughs> and then that just kind of went from there. So now I, I've done things where it's just me going out with a guitar, either an acoustic or an electric or maybe a combination where I'll just play, I'll play by myself. That doesn't sound weird, by the way. And uh, so, yeah. It's, Do it all the time. <laughs> it's not wrong. <laughs> the glasses get a little stronger, but, uh, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's funny, man, you know, because it's like uh, uh, I used to feel so uh, – I don't know about you, but like, I, I, uh, I definitely, I can think back to like 10 years ago and it's like the, the feeling of, no, this is what I do. And this is what I want to put forth. Like I was so passionate about it. And it's, as more time goes by, uh, the more eager I am to do something that is not something that I've done, you know, now sure. my, my, my craving is to do things that I haven't done yet. Um, you know, just started, you know, on, uh, <clears throat> some of these, uh, private shows we've done, I've just started doing a duo thing with, with my drummer, which has been hugely awesome. And another great example of something that like the offer, a couple of offers came in and I said, yes. And then my manager was like, have you ever done that before? And I was like, no. <laughs> and he's like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know yet, but I'm going to figure it out. Right. Exactly. So, so like I've concocted this big, um, like where I can create like sort of loops um, right. with my, with my baritone or my six string bass, not like loops of playing, but like textural loops that are low end loops that I can bring in and out sort of, I guess probably in somewhat of a Daniel and esque fashion. Sure. And then I have multiple different amplifiers and multiple different rigs so I can use different things. And it's, it's hilarious because the few that we've done, like, I have like four times the amount of gear than a full band gig, you know, and it really does. Like my state, my side of the stage, like looks like a pawn shop, you know, right. it's awesome. It's like Mount, you know, it's like, it's like Mount ghetto, you know, like <laughs> it's awesome, you know, but it's fun, man. It's, 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 uh, it's the, the, the need to have a different type of musical experience. Um, right. You know, and I mean, we have, we've been so, we've cut a lot down here, but I'm really obsessed with Afrobeat. And um, obviously, typically that stuff is, you know, 11, 12 guys, you know. Right. And we've been able to do some of it down here. I'm trying to concoct a situation where, where, um, where we can do some more of that because I, I'm absolutely obsessed with, uh, with uh, Fela Kute and, you know, the yeah. dearly departed Tony Allen. Um, it's just so fun, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's just so fun. I've really enjoyed your, uh, 
your your live streams and stuff. It's been great to see you and oh, well, you and thank the Bulls you. plan and and uh, it's uh, you know I'm glad to see that the guys are doing well. I mean, obviously, I'm sure I knew Dylan would be well, but it's good to see Toby rocking out. Yeah, Toby's doing good. We're doing things every other week. He comes down. And, uh, you know, he's been maintaining up there in Minneapolis. And, um, you know, obviously we can't wait to start uh, start doing more stuff. But, you know, when he comes down, we've been recording more and more and more. So we've technically got enough for, you know, a, either a very long single release or a couple releases. And uh, constantly coming up with new material. And there's a bunch of stuff I've got in dry dock that has never been really flushed out. Uh, and... It's been fun because of this respite to be able to take some of that material and then add it to this this template of the of the the organ trio. And so that's been a blast. So it's 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 all been good. It's just weird. You know what I mean? <laughs> that it's been fun doing the duos with Dylan where it's just him and I playing. And it's just it's very, very bizarre when you have this uh, weird, you know, kinetic thing where sometimes we'll do the exact same thing at the exact same time, which, you know, happens a lot in and music, but it's like really weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so well, that, I, that's, that's been a lot of fun. When did, when did Dylan actually um, start playing for real? Like really taking it seriously and practicing and stuff like that. Uh, I would say in, in fifth grade <laughs> is when he started to, you know, start practicing prior to that, he would just bang on stuff, you know? Right. Uh, right. but I, I remember in, in fifth grade, he played for a talent show and was funny. Mm -hmm. I think he played, um, I, he had his drum set out and then I went up and I had a kind of a baritone and we did like a, a, a version of, uh, ain't, uh, uh, superstitious or superstition. I'm getting my, uh, very superstitious and superstitious. <laughs> messed up, but, uh, well, it and, is October. <laughs> and so he just, you know, he did, you know, and he, and he played him. What's so funny is at one point he did like a little fill and then like went like this for the crowd. I'm like, this, we're doomed. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so he just I mean, kind of went from there. And then there, there was like this young, uh, prodigy guitar, you know, you know, uh, eight year old, you know, blues kid that was making the rounds and, and <laughs> Dylan, Dylan ended up no, playing in a band I've with him. Of, I've never, I've heard, never of heard of that. Right. As, as, <laughs> as Steve Lukather likes to call him, it's the blues fetuses. <laughs> Did he have three names? Did he have three names? <laughs> as a matter of fact, he did indeed. And uh, so Dylan did that for a while, was doing like some festivals and TV shows. And then he played in a band with this other kid. And and um, and then he played in a band with that Jared James Nichols for a while. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And did that. And then um, we, I remember Jared the and I just became real buddies, like just in the last few weeks. Another, yeah, yeah, COVID, yeah. another COVID connection. Um, the Branch Covidians, as I like to call us. Indeed, indeed. We interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle-infested conversation to give a special shout-out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Koch Signature Fluence Gristle Tone Pickup Set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. But no, so let me ask you this in re, in regard because I because I have a daughter who's obsessed with music, 
And, um, you know, one of my favorite, you know, one of my proudest moments in life really is, you know, we listen to records together all the time. <laughs> and there's certain records that she really likes. Like she really likes Funkadelic's first album and she'll come up and say, Dada, Funkadelic, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, yes, you know? And it's like the fact that my daughter is like, exposed to captain beefheart and um and slim harpo and lightning hopkins and joseph spence and all this stuff like it just i'm so proud of that as a parent you know and yes. i'm sure you were probably the same way of like my child he may not dig it but he's being exposed to the very best you know exactly um, when for you with dylan did you have that moment where you were like wow He's serious. He's good. I, I remember. I mean, I knew. I knew he could play, and yeah. and and he uh, was doing jazz band, and he got into this kind of um, kind of a, for lack of a better term, kind of a high school uh, all star jazz thing at this conservatory in town, and he was doing that every week. So I knew he had. I knew he had the goods. You know what I mean? But we were playing a gig, a, a, a hometown. Uh, thing that we have done every year. We didn't do it this year, but um, you know, in in downtown Wauwatosa, called Tosa Fest. And, Tosa Fest. Uh, Tosa Fest. And I was doing it with my trio, and uh, and Dylan was there. Dylan's like fifteen at the time, and um, and he had been taking some lessons from our drummer at the time, Del Bennett. Del Bennett, personal entertainer. Uh, what did I call him? Del Bennett, personal entertainer. No, personal trainer and percussion entertainer, because his day gig was a personal trainer so so he had uh he was a muscular <laughs> lad and uh but he had been given some lessons to dylan and so i didn't think it was uncool of me to say hey Dell, do you do you mind if dylan comes up and plays a song he's like no that'd be great because you know hometown all of his friends are there and all that kind of stuff right 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 so dylan comes up and he sits behind the drums and he looks at me and old tom damn good and um i said well dylan what do you want to play he goes uh let's do one of those hendrix tunes let's let's do that message to love song i'm like are you sure and he's like, sure? absolutely. And uh, and there's actually someone videotaped it, or videotaped it, listen to me, Boomer. Uh, someone video. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not Boomer, I'm Gen X. But anyway, um, and they put it online and you could see it. And, and he plays the tune and he nails it. You know, and it, it just, it's just, I mean, that's not an easy tune, you know, with, with no. the breakdown in the middle, you know, the whole band of gypsies thing. And he nailed it. And that's when I was like, yeah, this this is uh this is for reals because it was You're like tear tear Exactly. <laughs> it was it was really wild. And then, you know, it just kind of went from there and he just, you know, um you know, when he did a session, uh, we did um we did that gig uh with Robin Ford and with David Grissom and and uh with Roscoe Beck and yeah. Dylan's playing drums and it was you know, it was it was at the school. It was sponsored by the school where he was going to up in Minneapolis, right? Yeah. And um, but Dylan had played with me and Roscoe before, so Roscoe was cool. And right. Roscoe and Roscoe does not suffer fools or mediocrity. I might <laughs> he will be a man. He will be extraordinarily. Uh, I'm going to say Kurt. And uh, so the fact that he was cool with it, and then Dylan learned David Grissom's songs. And David came in and... And David heard, does not suffer fools either. No, indeed, he does not. <laughs> and so he was Johnny on the spot. Well, now we got Robin coming in. And we know Robin does not suffer fools. So... Rob, Robin is definitely... It's funny how it like goes in steps. It's like, Roscoe? Right. Uh, Grissom? 
Uh, Robin uh, could be, <laughs> and uh, and I'll and I'll never forget. You know, and Robin's plane didn't come on time, so when the part, the time that we had to rehearse, you son of a bitch, it was gone. So now it's like the next day he's coming in. We're gonna have <clears throat> the ability to just kind of go over things for a second. And so I remember we did one shuffle tune, and he turns around and he goes, "We're good." because <laughs> Dylan could shuffle. And he's like, you know what? And he took him aside. He's like, look, play with a lot of drummers. You'd be surprised how hard it is to find people to shuffle like that. You know what I mean? So that was like the coolest thing. Uh, and and then meanwhile, the you're, meanwhile, you're like, oh, oh, like, oh. But, my uh, boy, my boy. The fruit there of my looms. Funny things that happened on that gig as well. But it's, it's you know, it's been, it's been wild. It's like, you know, um, you know, to have someone who understands the uh, the power of rock, you know what I mean? The Ginger Baker stuff, the 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 Keith Moon, the the John Bonham, but then gets you know the Steve Gadd and the Zigaboo, you know what I mean? And the Corky and, and the Corky McCrackendale. Yeah, and, and the Corky, but you know, it's it's wild. So it's it's like you know, as I say, if you want to, JD, if you want a good drummer, you got to make one. That's my motto. True. Well, we would be remiss, I think, doing this on the channel if we didn't talk somewhat about equipment and so on and so forth. What are you, what are yes, you digging? I gonna, I, well, yeah. you know, I, it, what's so bizarre about about all this stuff? I mean, I, I know for you, I mean, when, I mean, when you were younger, and I'd see you out in Phoenix, you were definitely more of a strat stratsman, as I recall. I was, I was, and the reason why, and, and let me just put this out there, folks. Let me get closer to the camera. You talking to you out there. So the reason why I can make fun of the blues fetuses is because I are one and, uh, <laughs> and I grew through it. And, uh, you know, I, yes, like I, like many from my generation, um, you know, Hendrix and Stevie Ray and all that was kind of the way in. Right. And then when I was about 17 is when it all changed for me, because that's when I heard girls go wild. When I heard Jimmy Vaughn, and when I heard the second Paul Butterfield Blues record, East West, with Michael Bloomfield. Right. And that was when my whole attitude completely, completely changed. And, um, and but yes, I was, as I say, a stratoblaster early yes. on. And, a stratocosist. Uh, a stratocosist. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Back in those days, I was, I was fairly unremarkable. Yes. <laughs> no, you were great. No, you were great. Uh, I mean, I remember hearing you play, and you were, and and you were always just nice as the day is long, and just a uh, you were a good kid, JD. You were a good kid. I remember finally, I was like, this is a nice kid. You're not like, I am going to bubble it. Because sometimes you get that with the young, they're like the oh yeah, the first one to ever hear this music, the first one ever to do this, you know. But you were not that at all. You were just you were great, and you were cool. So there's that. But yeah, no. So I was a Stratoblaster back then, as many, and uh, yeah, it's just quite gradually over time. I mean, all those years playing with Don, I actually, you know, I obviously had to play a Telecaster. Um, right. But you know, right around the time that I started my band is when I got my old three thirty five, which right. uh, which is this. And um, when the thing that changed though during the pandemic though is. Uh, I also have this silver tone that I became obsessed with that I used for about four months during the pandemic, oh, an old cool. black silver tone. 
it's amazing. And I wrote, and I got a lot of music out of that guitar. And actually this was put away for quite a while. I didn't pick this up at all. And then when I picked it back up, there were things about it I didn't like. And one was I'd gotten really used to the wiggle stick. Right. Mr. Wiggles, as I like to say. Exactly. Indeed. And, uh, and then the other thing was, is that this was a bit bright for what I was, I was used to the wood bridge and, um, and I, I didn't like, you know, like it was just a bit, especially with the clean stuff, because a lot of the funk instrumental stuff is that Leo Nocentelli, right? Uh, really clean, um, uh, you know, dead strings, clean guitar, funk guitar type of thing. Indeed, and and so I actually put the original bridge back on with the nylon saddles, and that took care of that. So I oh, just yeah. put this back to stock, and I freaking love it. And um, isn't it amazing what the nylon saddles do? It's 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 crazy. It I makes mean, it I, sound like an it makes it sound like an old record, man. Like because yeah. even like playing Freddie King stuff when I'm out of face because I have a a face switch here that Joe Glazer put in many years ago. Um, even with that, or playing like or playing BB King stuff or or whatever it just it's the difference between you know it sounding like the 80s or sounding like an old record it really does right make a big difference um so so yeah so that's you know this has been the main one but through the through the pandemic here i've had some other i got really into the pawn shop guitars and uh um this is another big favorite of mine this is an old uh custom craft from oh yeah yeah, yeah. K, from k uh, from the early sixties, um, sort of like a Jimmy Reed guitar. And I use this all the time. This thing plays really good. And this was actually a gift from a, from a, from a friend. Um, cause I was going, th- uh, you know, started going through this pawn shop guitar phase. Um, but I use this a lot. And then I've got this, you know, old jazz master that I've got tuned down to B. And then my, uh, my Cadillac, my, my ES5. Oh, there we go. I, I love those guitars. I, Doggone it. The, the T-Bone it, Walker man. special. That's exactly right. And, you know, so I use this all the time, too. And, um, you know, that's like the main the main guitars. And then I got really into, you know, acoustics and um, got this really cool old Barclay, which is a really cheap acoustic nice. uh, sort of... coming through but sort of a latin and hopkinsy kind of sounding guitar i, I love the old the old funky acoustics they're they're a blast it's really fun man because it's like you know this is literally like maybe a seven or eight hundred dollar guitar if that right and it's made of you know it, it's made of 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 old mahogany and uh this one in particular and this is brazilian rosewood yeah. you know and it's like you know I mean, because Jimmy Page didn't play one, right? You exactly. know, these are or, or Bob Dylan didn't play, one, you know. Right. So I've got a whole bunch of these and all that. So you know. earlier on in um, earlier on this year, uh, I was in kind of a cool pawnish shop around town here, and I got an old Epiphone Caballero with the yes with the Diarman sound hole pickup, and yep. oh, it it was delicious. And as you said, I mean, it's it, you know not. Not a whole lot of money, but a whole lot of vibe and t- 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 tone. Big Can't time. Be. And i that's been a big thing. You know, Gabe and um, Tommy Brennick um, 
and and Joey Crispianos, all the guys associated with Daptone, um, who now have their label Penrose in in uh, Riverside, California, uh, putting out some of the best music out there today. Uh, got really into these old Ampegs in the same um, the same kind of thought process where it's like I got there's these two Ampeg Gemini's. Yeah, this one is a Gemini two, which is the one that has a 15 inch speaker in it. And then the Gemini one, which is my favorite, uh, which has a 12 inch speaker in it. And I bought the Gemini two came up on Craigslist here and I bought it for $300. And then the Gemini one came up on a Craigslist in Brooklyn for $400. (laughs) And I have since actually gotten rid of several of my sixties fenders yeah, as opposed actually, to buying an old Vibrolux for three thousand or thirty five hundred dollars, you know. Yeah, I mean? and and honestly, I mean, no joke, man. Like, I did a bunch of. Gabe also has been really just with studio gear. You know, he has this saying that he's like, you know, he's like nine times out of ten in the modern world, we listen with our eyes, and right. so whatever you can, whatever you can do to not do that, <laughs> so consequently a lot of times down here in the studio whether it's an actual like piece of equipment or whether it's like a microphone shootout or something like that like patching it all in and going in the control room on the other side of the wall and not knowing what's what and literally picking the thing that you think sounds the best right and with microphones it blew my mind because I actually got rid of some of my most expensive microphones, some of my vintage, you know, really treasured microphones because I kept picking, uh, like, you know, I have a bunch of like fifties and sixties EVs that are like maybe a hundred bucks worth a hundred bucks each. Right. You know, I kept picking them over the ribbons. Right. And so that, but with the, with the amplifiers, I did a whole bunch of blind taste testing and, I always kept picking the Ampegs and the reason being is like, at least for me, they have, they're sort of in between a blackface fender and a tweed. They're like tweedier sounding than a blackface amp, but they have this amazing reverb and tremolo. Right. And again, like there's a lot of really hip dudes that are into them and use them and have used them for the last couple of decades. People like Tommy Brennick and, uh, Brittany Howard from the Alabama Shakes, I know, is a big fan of of the Gemini's and stuff. But again, you know, because Jimmy Page didn't use one or something, right. they're to be had for well under a thousand dollars, you know. And I, I just, and they're they're amazing, you know. So I've switched quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I remember the last and, time we we played together was, uh, you know, we did that string of gigs around that uh, that Les Paul anniversary, hundredth anniversary. Yes. And uh, you Johnny, were very much, you know, Mar- Marshall straight in, or uh, Les Paul straight into a Marshall then, and you had that cool, uh, that cool yeah. Lester. Yeah, um, that is now in Australia, from what I hear. Uh-huh. Uh, was I that, had that re- was that Charlie Daughtry's, and he was letting you use it, or no? It was another gentleman from Texas uh, whose name is Ronnie, and um, yeah, I mean, I had that guitar for a good couple of years and got a lot of really fun time out of it, and. Uh, and then, you know, and they gave the it back. It be, if we're honest, am I right? It's just like, hey, you know, well, what? <laughs> you know, running the risk of, of offending some people, 
Um, and I'll be very, because uh, what I want to say is this, is that the exposure to those incredibly intrinsically expensive instruments has done for me is shown me definitively that a good instrument is a good instrument, like regardless of what it is, you know, because there's, there's valuable instruments that aren't necessarily that great. Just like right. there are not so valuable instruments that are, that are, that are not that great. Absolutely. The key is to find an instrument that's great that, you know, to me, it's like if you pick something up and you're not thinking about whatever it is that's in your hand and you can just channel whatever's meant to come out, you know, that's a good instrument. And so um, I appreciate the incredible exposure to all these incredible collectors and stuff like that because it's sort of it's demystified the process to me and it's sure. shown me that it's like at the end of the day, they're kind of they're they're all they're all created equal and it's us humans that kind of put, you know, this, this, uh, this, you know, astronomical value upon certain things, you know, and it's, well, it is amazing if you, if you think about, you know, the lot of, a lot of the people that we idolized along the way, uh, <laughs> and, and, and they had their iconic instruments, you know what I mean? And, but they had one of them. Or maybe yeah, a did. spare, you yeah. know what I mean? And it wasn't like this, this thing. No, the, it was it was about the playing and it was about the art. The, the instrument was just a tool. And of course, back then, you know, if we're talking about cats in the late '60s. Those guitars were like ten-year-old instruments, maybe not even. And used guitars, they were like, "Hey, these are cool. This will do the trick." They certainly were. They were kind of throwaway guitars that were not the you know the instruments that were necessarily the most popular ones to play, and all of a sudden these legendary cats started playing them. And then everyone had to have them, and then it be, it's become you know this religion, and uh, and you know and and again whatever gets you through the night, cool, you know what I'm saying? But uh, you know to your point, I mean sometimes you get an old guitar, it's magical. Other times you get another old guitar that might not be all that great, but just because it is what it is, if someone owns that guitar or plays that guitar uh, in this day and age, it almost it lends itself to uh, as you said when people listen with their eyes. You know what I mean? It all of a sudden lends credence to something because simply because of the attachment to some of this older instrument and you know again it is what it is but it it's just kind of humorous to me how that whole thing has changed from these guys maybe like Roy Buchanan he's like oh there's a there's a guitar I'll think I'll use that you know what I mean or uh, I mean certainly Clapton and those guys knew there was something about a Les Paul but still no one else did I mean you know uh Bloomfield well, yeah. was, you know yeah, exactly that's exactly it I mean it's like you they 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 pick something up and it, it did something for them and um their point of reference was was much more um their points of reference of wanting to get something like something they already saw or already heard was a lot wider and a lot foggier whereas yes. now things are so specific and you know i do i think that you know being a person myself that and i talk about this a lot because people you know because i i use the marshals and like you said i use the marshals and the 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 gibsons and stuff like that for 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 a couple of years there and was really really dedicated to it and really i mean i learned a lot through the process well it's and a magical combination there's no two ways it about. is it it is and then i you know and i since you know and then i left it behind and i mean i haven't looked back since but i mean it was you know the thing is about it is it's very distracting 
you know, I think that it's the most important aspect of being a musician is to listen to music and the amount of people that, um, uh, that I've run into on touring around the world who don't actively listen to music on a daily basis is staggering to me, right. you know, um, because that's how you become a great musician. Truly. I mean, be, beyond practicing beyond that, you have to fill, you have to be constantly filling your tank with quality stuff because inherently you are what you listen to. Sure. And so it's like, you know, and I know you can relate that it's like, you know, the second you start to play, whatever is truly in your subconscious is what's going to come out. You right. can learn obscure references and learn buzzwords and sound cool off the bandstand. But it's like the second you start to really make music, it's going to become incredibly apparent what it is that you really are into and listen to. Right. And that's why it's so, so important to dig and to try and listen to and access as much as you can. And it's never been easier because I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing that's amazing is that, and I know I hear, you know, you screaming amen inside your head is that, you know, it wasn't that long ago that just to find a record by somebody obscure, like I mentioned, somebody like Joseph Spencer, right. Or hell, even somebody like Ry Cooters, who's not really that obscure, really, you know, like, to find a Magic Sam record or to find um, a Hound Dog Taylor record or to, or to find a Captain Beefheart record or, or, right. or craft, craft work or can or, you know, anything like that. First, someone had to expose you to it. Exactly. Somebody had to, like, show it to you. Then you had to go find it, which right. might entail ordering and waiting six weeks for it to come in. And then you may have gotten the wrong album. You might not have gotten the one that right. really... And it's like now the fact that we can go on to Spotify, which I do on a daily basis, and you can you can cross-reference your searches and you can find stuff from the same labels, from the same producers. You can find, you know, like if you want to get into something, you know, like say, you know, you've never really gotten into Afrobeat, you can literally just by listening to like a modern band like Antibalis or Orgone or um or, or black market brass band or something like that. You can listen to those and then that algorithm picks up and it's immediately going to suggest a few other things. Right, exactly. And now you're off and running. And it's like, that's, you know, it's so easy and it's so important, you know, and that's really, I think the most important thing um, about being a musician. It's like, what are you listening to? It's like, it's, you know, when I first moved to Nashville, I remember getting together with Rodney Crowell and uh, Rodney asked me, uh, he was like, he was like, do you like to read? And at the time I didn't, um, because I was young and foolish. And, uh, and I said, no, not really. You know? And he's like, well, you know, if you want to be a writer, kind of need to read <laughs> And <laughs> with being a musician, you know, if you want to be a musician, you kind of got to listen to music. <clears throat> right. So anyway, soapbox done rant over. Well, no, it's, 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 I, I've been saying, you know, to some, some youngins, if I'm doing a workshop or something and they'll talk about, I mean, just learning in this day and age, it's like the golden era. It may not be the golden era for the traditional way that we thought of, you know, of pursuing um, a career in the music industry. There are other opportunities in that capacity, but certainly for learning. I remember back in the day, 
you know, I'd be reading Guitar Player Magazine and you would, you know, say I'm reading up on a guy like Albert Lee or something. He's mentioning, you know, Hank Garland and Jimmy Bryant and, you know, uh, uh, Joe Mathis or whatever. And I'm like, where am I going to find these records? You know what I mean? Right, Whereas right, the other right. day, I remember a couple of years back, I was reading this really good um, biography of Django Reinhardt. It was really comprehensive mm-hmm. and it talked about all the different people that he was influenced by. So now we're getting way yep. back there. And I yep. literally could get on my computer the moment I read a page. I'm like, man, I wonder what that stuff sounds like. And right. somebody has uploaded the audio or if there'd be some old crusty black and white footage of this old you know, person playing in France somewhere. And uh, it's just fascinating. You can cross-reference all this stuff if you can't, you know, if if the actual audio just hasn't been uh, uploaded, there's actual concert footage or somebody, you know, playing it. So there's, as I like to say, there's, there's really no reason to suck at this. (laughs) No, no, there isn't. And it's, and, 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 and yet, you know, again, I mean, it's like, you know, and as much as, you know, listen, you know, I mean, it's like, I like you and, many, many others. I mean, it's like all of the things that everybody tends to really love. I mean, it's like, you know, Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and, 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 uh, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and, and Elvis and little Richard and on, you know, and on and on and on. But it's like, it's never been, I think even more imperative to try and access, you know, deeper stuff because millions and millions of people are accessing a lot of the same stuff you know and plus it's also i mean for me it's 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 you know it's just endlessly interesting it's just so interesting well you'll never get bored i mean if you're curious no and no and it's just you know i mean i just you know i was into uh um just this last week or so i'd always heard i knew the song um too tired uh, but right. uh, but Robert Ward, uh, the Ohio right. the Ohio connection, and right. I'd never really gotten into it intrinsically, and um, you know, and I just I've, I've been on a, a Ohio. I'm, I'm very intrigued at the moment with uh, the amount of R and B music that was made at King right. Records in Cincinnati. It's insane. It really is, and I mean, there's a lot of offshoots we could talk. I mean, just you know, the fact that. Just the fact that and I love this story that it's like Freddie King had packed up his shit to leave Chicago because he couldn't get a record deal. And he happens to stop in Cincinnati. He's heading back to Texas. Um, stops in Cincinnati because he knows a couple of the guys that are in the house band at King Federal. And the guitar player is sick for this Smoky Smothers session. So Freddie gets in by default and plays guitar on the Smokey Smothers record, playing very much in the Eddie Taylor style of country guitar. Um, and because of which he's then like, he impresses them so much that they say, Hey, why don't you come back tomorrow and we'll cut something on you. And that next day he cuts hideaway. Right. And his life has changed. Right. I mean, you know, but there was a lot of really, really cool R and B. I mean, obviously all the James Brown stuff, but the Robert Ward stuff I never really dove into really deep because it's oh, really hard to find. I only it's have really the, hard the latter stuff. Um, but it's great. Yeah, I know the early somebody uploaded all of and it's funny because all of the YouTube videos, none of it's on Spotify or Apple Music, but all of the Ohio 
um, the Ohio connection was the name of the band. And okay. it's from the late fifties and the early sixties. And they only made 45s. They never made an album. Now, was he still was he doing the magnetone thing then? Too? Oh yeah. No, no, no. And, and it's, and it's to, to the, to the highest order. And the band is amazing. It's very Ike uh, Turner and the Kings of Rhythm esque. And um, yeah, somebody uploaded all of the 45s. There's only about like four, 14 or 15 of them. And it's funny because all the YouTube videos have like 114 views, 210 views. You know? well, it's going to have a few more because after we get done, that's where I'm going. I love that guy. You know, it just, yeah. and I, don't know, I was kind of a late comer to his party as well, but I, I heard it somewhere. Uh, and there's some cool footage of Ry Cooter playing. Of Ry Cooter and him, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, but just you know playing with his fingers on that red telly and just had that cool style, both rhythmically and lead wise. And I was all about it, you know. And so I his his early his early stuff. It's interesting because he sort of sounds like he sort of sounds like Gatemouth Brown and who's Diddley mixed together. Like it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting mix. Um, and a very, you know, you mentioned the magnetone thing. I mean, yeah, the, I mean, it's it just a very unique sound for that time um, because it doesn't sound like anybody else as right. a result of him using the 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 pitch bending vibrato, which I've become obsessed with as of late. I got a little oh. box down here. Uh, I don't. I'm not really a gadget man, but I, I did. A gadgetsman. Getting, I'm, I'm I'm not much of one, but uh, but I ended up getting one because because uh, I I must have it. I love that sound. I, I got a pedal a years back from a, a, I think it was Bigfoot Effects. They have something. Yeah, called that's the one I got. Yeah, yeah the Magnavibe. It's fantastic. It's awesome. I of course couldn't help myself. I'm a tinkerer of of of, of sorts. So I opened it up and fucked with it, but uh, um, I love what it does. And it's the only real effect. I mean, I've got a old wah wah pedal and a fuzz tone, and that's you know, it's the only other effect I'm using. Well, know? one of the things so. I I did because I love I love that vibrato but i also just like uh black faced era uh harmonic vibrato and that's what i got on my little signature yeah, so i love just yeah. putting the cord right in i got the big reverb and then i put that thing on and it's got a little you know the only thing that sucks about those things is that you know when you hit them uh you under normal circumstances your gain goes down a little bit it goes so, down a little bit so yeah. on this i've got a, a control so i can actually <laughs> boost the gain a little bit so when i hit that i get a little it goes up a little, you get so a little oh man that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, it's a cool thing. So I've you been thinking so, of it all. You well, you know what? You know, if you're gonna, the, my whole thing with, uh, you know, after all of these years of of you know playing different gear and so on and so forth, when I got the opportunity to kind of work with people to develop some stuff that would be, you know, signature per se, I wanted to have. It's like, well, no, I want the shit that I've always wanted for, so I don't have to, so I can go out of the house with a guitar, a chord, and an amp, and and be donezo, you know, and be donezo. And, right. and really be able to get all the different things under the sun with my grubby little mitts, but it's just all there. So it's uh, well, and you're—I've seen you're—you're—you're you, you're developing uh, the P90. Uh, oh my god! As of late, it's, uh, it's you're a happy boy, thing. aren't you? I am indeed. Well, you know, I don't know—I don't know if I told you about it, but it, I wanted the out of phase sound. But you know, when you when you got that Peter Green wiring, you're you're pre you're preaching to the choir, man. I mean, I use it 
40, you know, 40% of the time myself. So, yes. Well, well what we did is as an extra little treat. My favorite sound is when you're out of phase and you just back off a butt hair on either volume and yep. it, it, it becomes that other thing. So inside of the control panel, you open it up, you can set where you want the phase to be. So I like it just, you know, taking the, 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 the neck pickup <laughs> off just a little bit so it gets fatter. So that's my preset. So when I go to out of phase, it's that. So it's pretty cool. Wow, dude. I dig it. You got you got it going on, man. And those are great guys, man. I mean the 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 fishmen, the fishmen people and the and the rever and the reverend people. They're they're just they're great people. Absolutely. I actually it's funny, uh when I was when I put the Bigsby back on 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 my three thirty five, uh Reverend makes the best spring they do uh, on, yeah, on from the market. Reeves Gabrels, yeah, but from Reeves. It's the best one. I tried a whole bunch of different ones trying to get the uh, the trying to get the tension. I'm sorry that I keep making this motion. I, I, I you know I know it's you know keep it keep it G rated, but uh, <laughs> the uh, but uh, the uh, yeah JD whatever. Um, but no, it really is the best uh, the best spring. It's what's in there is the Reverend Spring, and it just it's so cool because you know like Joe Naylor, it's like he has this company. But it's like his speakers and all these other parts and stuff like that. Like he's just one of those guys that just comes up with, you know, he's, he reminds me of like, because I'm also really into into old cars and stuff like that. He reminds me of 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 the great car guys, you know, that it's like, yes, he's into that. Yeah. But it's like, oh, man, he makes, have you seen this fender? This carburetor he made is the best carburetor, you know, like it's right. it's pretty hip, man. You know, <laughs> Detroit, what can you say? Hey, Detroit Rock City. Well, listen, we're running out. We could probably talk for three hours, but we should probably uh, we should probably wrap it up. Uh, thank you so much for spending time today, man. It's always a pleasure hanging out with you and just talking shop. And uh, and also, right we, didn't even, we didn't even mention food, but you know, we can get into that another time because Lord knows we, we can. Well, I'm sure your feasting has been greatly reined in because yes, I mean, you know, one of the joys of being Greg's friend is the feasting. Yes. The feasting is a big, and if you're a friend of mine, feasting is a big part. I've actually started <laughs> before we go. So, you know, doing content, doing these types of things has become, you know, part of everyday life, you know, in, in, in the world we're in right now. And it's funny because just in the last several weeks, my management has, I've actually started being guests on like food blogs and stuff like that because no because because like you like i have so many places throughout the entire world at this point but especially Absolutely. throughout america that mm -hmm. it's like every city has multiple places that are like the special place and exactly. it could be something very highbrow or it could be something Down very lowbrow yeah and it's like you know and it's one of the joys of traveling and playing is 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 the noshing and uh experiencing the you local fair. Yeah, well, you do got to eat, but I mean, we take it to another level because, you know, my favorite is when you're, when you're sitting across from Greg and, you know, it's like, all right, the food comes and he starts, he starts just taking bits and pieces and it just becomes a sea of, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, ooh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh yes. <laughs> that is it in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. 
All right, my friend. Well, thank you so much. You take care of yourself down there. I hope to get to see you in person and play again one of these days in the near future. And uh, by God, we shall go forth and conquer. Well, love you. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you oh, all my pleasure. Folks Likewise. at Wildwood. Pleasure. Yes, always. The friends at Wildwood and Fishman are helping us put this all together. We thank them immensely. And uh, we'll see you soon, my friend. Adios. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. Special thank you to Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, and the mighty Fishman Transducers for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed yourself, ladies and gentlemen, please subscribe and review so that people can get the word out that this is worth experiencing. Can you dig it? Thanks again. We'll see you soon, or you'll hear me soon.